Amen. Have you ever done something or been asked to do something that you just despised? Um, like, uh, let's see, I, I tried to come up with a few. Cleaning the chicken coop is high on my list of things that I despised. Uh, cleaning the uh, hog shed, maybe. For some of you, it might be dishes. That is something that I dis- I mean, I don't like it. But I don't know about despise. You know, something that you just... A pet groomer. That is something that I would despise. I mean, I, I know my dog. And I know he's a lot of work. I, there was this lady, she took her dog to the parlor for a haircut, and she, was asked, she asked what it would cost, and the, the groomer said, well, it's going to be $100. And she said, holy smokes! She said, I can get my hair done for 70 Why should my dog be more than me? And the dog groomer said, because you don't bite. I think, I think, as I think, as I've thought about just kind of real life things, things that I would really despise, let me put a picture of something in your head. Okay, you have one of those automatic robo vacuums, right? It does work when you're, you're asleep. Um, just imagine this, and I, and I actually saw a picture of this. Uh, just imagine that, that you, your new puppy, in the middle of the night on the living room floor, left a surprise, we call them dog minds, okay? And for whatever reason, your robo-vacuum decided to get up in the middle of the night after that and vacuum the living room carpet and smeared it all over the living room carpet, okay? Now, you've got to clean that up, right? I would despise that. I would absolutely I don't know whether I would kick the robot or the dog. I'm not sure which. Um, but uh, think, of, think, of, think of something that you would just absolutely despise. And as I've been preparing the, for the message this week, we're, we're talking about, I, I gave you a hint last week, we're talking about Simon of Cyrene today. Where was he from? Who was he? What did he do? And then finally, what does God ask of us? What, what does he ask us to do? And, and Simon was the man who who the soldiers forced to carry the cross of Jesus. And, and I think about that moment when he was faced with what he was being forced to do, and I can imagine him thinking and despising not only what he was being told to do, but who was, asking, who was making him do it. So let's get to know Simon of Cyrene. First of all, who was he? Um, who was Simon of Cyrene? We really don't have a huge amount of information about Simon of Cyrene. He's, he's essentially, he's mentioned in all three Gospels, and uncharacteristically, Mark actually gives the most information about Simon of Cyrene. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, we are going to uh, look at verse 21. So if you, if you didn't bring a Bible, just grab, reach under the seat in front of you and grab one if if there isn't one, I don't know, look back to the person behind you and maybe they have one back there they can hand you. Mark chapter 15, verse 21. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country. Let's stop there. So, very little, but some that we can deduce from this verse is that Simon wasn't from Jerusalem. He was from out in the country or from another country possibly. And he was either originally from Cyrene, 
and, and traveled uh, recently or moved or lived near Jerusalem, or he still lived in Cyrene and this time of year had made a journey to Jerusalem for something. Now, Cyrene, just for us to be able to see, is situated in modern-day Libya. Uh, I, so if you look down here on the lower left-hand side, you've got Egypt there, you've got Palestine and, and uh, Israel over there, uh, the Mediterranean Sea. Cyrene is up here just on sort of the northern, uh, the northern side of, of Africa. The, this next picture will also kind of give you a better idea. So right over there, just kind of northeast of Benghazi, is Cyrene. That is the region that... Uh, that we are told Simon was from. So um, you'll see that there, there are other possibilities here in the next few minutes. Uh, Cyrene was settled by the Greeks in 650 BC and was later infused with a significant number of Jews um, who, who uh, moved there. Cyrene was the capital of the Roman district of Cyrenaica at the time of Jesus' crucifixion. And by then, it was the home to a large number of Greek-speaking Jews, uh, also referred to as Hellenistic Jews. So if you hear the, the phrase Hellenistic Jew, that essentially means they're of Greek descent, but they have converted to Judaism. Mark also mentions two others. He mentions Alexander and Rufus, who were Simon's sons. So in Mark, in, in putting this in his letter, is assuming, or at least um, Simon and Alexander and Rufus are well known to Mark, for he included them, and he knew that his readers would know who, who those two men are, and thus their father. Uh, it is speculated that, Rufus, that, that the Rufus mentioned here is the same uh, Rufus that Paul greets in his letter to Rome, at the beginning of his letter, he mentions Rufus. In fact, he, he calls him chosen in the Lord and whose mother has been a mother to me too, Romans 16, 13. So they were likely believers, and I'm not sure whether, whether Simon was a believer before this experience with Jesus or after. Um, he was obviously in Jerusalem for a reason, not being from there. It's possible that he was there to celebrate the Passover, which would put him in the, the place of a Hellenistic Jew as well. Another option was, again, that he has this experience, and because of this experience and because, what is, because of what he sees, he then becomes a believer, and then later on is mentioned in Acts because he's a part of uh, the Cyrene that, that Paul mentions in, or that Luke mentions in the book of Acts. Um, there, were, there were many Jews from Cyrene in the land of Israel. There were many of them. They had moved back. Um, Luke records men from Cyrene being among those converted at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verse 10. After the martyrdom of Stephen, believers from Cyrene were among the first to be scattered by the persecution in Jerusalem. So, so the, the place, the people, are significant. They're, they're getting places, they're, they're mentioned in Scripture. They are some of the very first disciples. Um, in fact, uh, they, they were instrumental in the formation of the church in Antioch, where for the first time the disciples were called Christians. That's Acts chapter 11, verse 26. Simon and others from Cyrene, they were profoundly impacted by 
Jesus. Transformed by Jesus. And it's, it's no doubt to me that Simon was impacted. And, and if I were in Simon's place in Jesus' journey to the cross, I would have been profoundly changed by that. So what did Simon do? That's number two in your notes. What did Simon do? Well, his connection to Jesus happened on what we refer to as Good Friday. And I think about this every year. I, why do we refer to this as Good Friday? I mean, I understand that it's good for us, and that's kind of where we focus when we think about the darkness and the, the pain and the agony that was experienced on that Friday for, in the life of Jesus, that 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 benefits us, that that brings very much good, makes, makes a, a good available to us, and that's why we refer it to it as Good Friday. But I think it also kind of leads us down a false road when we think about the details of what happened to Jesus. He was falsely accused. He was sentenced to death. They kept him up all night. I don't know if they fed him, if they gave him water. They, they brutally beat him. They mocked him. They scourged him to the point of not even being recognized by people that knew him. He was tortured, and the Romans had perfected torture. They were good at it. And then they finally led Jesus to where he would die. And, and after all that they put him through, the emotional, the physical pain, all of that, he was then supposed to carry his own cross, his own instrument of death and further torture to the place called Golgotha. Now, I don't know how far it was that he was able to walk himself carrying it, but at some point, he was physically unable to, to carry it. And for Simon, I think, wow, was it a case of wrong place, wrong time? <laughs> you know, it, 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 the way that we're told that this occurred, it's like, it was like a happenstance. Uh, for Simon, anyway. As I've read some of the history in the other places in the account of Christianity where Simon pops up, I think it I think it's more or less happenstance than, than he was in the right place at the right time where God wanted him. That he became a key, a significant part in the future of Christianity. But, it, but Simon seems to have unwillingly become a part of this cru crucifixion story. But in the end, I wonder, because he was the only one, he was the only one who literally walked the road of suffering with Jesus that day. He was an active participant in the creator of the universe's interaction with us and the ultimate act of grace and mercy that would take place that day. Sinners as we are, imperfect, yet loved by God to the point of sacrifice of his own life. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's, that's amazing, isn't it? We should never wear, weary of 
thinking about that, how big of a gift that is to us. Uh, Look at Mark chapter 15, verses 18 through 21. Let me read that to you. Again, and they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff, and they spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him, and when they had mocked him, see, they dressed him up as a king. When they had mocked him, they led him out to crucify him. When they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. Simon saw firsthand the cruelty that was poured out on Jesus. He had to be obedient to the Roman soldiers. And he was, and he took up Jesus' cross, and he carried it. That instrument of torture and death, he put it on his back, and he carried it. It already had Jesus' blood on it. And he put it on his back, and he carried it. He had front row seats to the crucifixion. Of course, we don't know if he stuck around, but, but if, if I were him, I would have. I would have stayed to see. There, there were already other believers, all, uh, other followers of, of Jesus there. His mother was there. He was forever and will be forever known as the man who carried Jesus' cross. Simon of Cyrene. Now, I'm sure when the local newspapers wrote about Simon in the future, they didn't, you know, at the end, the man who carried Jesus' cross. But I bet a lot of people asked him questions. What was it like? What was Jesus like? What was the experience like? How did that impact you? He took up Jesus' cross and he carried it. I can't even, I can't even imagine it. I really can't. So then the final question is this. How do we apply this to our lives today? I mean, we can't literally take up Jesus' cross and carry it. Now, we've done things here before where we put the cross on our back and we walked it across the stage as part of a a road to, you know, sort of a stations of the cross to kind of get a sense and an emotional sense of what it might have kind of been like, but honestly, really, there, we, we have nothing to compare to this. And, and these are all, again, interesting bits of information about Jesus' walk to the cross, and maybe even some of them are new to you today, but, but what are we supposed to do with it? What does Jesus ask us to do? Now, when you, when you see the fact, when you read there in, uh, 
In Mark 15, 21, and it says that Rufus was passing by his way and from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. That, that, that Simon carried the cross of Jesus. Does that bring to mind another phrase? It sure did me. And that phrase is found in Mark chapter 8. So flip back a few chapters to Mark chapter 8 and look at verse 34 with me. Then he, and that is Jesus, then Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and Jesus said this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. What does that mean, take up their cross? What does it mean for you and I to take up our cross and follow Jesus? Now, first, let's think about what Jesus didn't mean here. I mean, have you ever heard somebody say something like, uh, that's my cross, I have to bear it? Uh, Many people interpret the cross as being some sort of burden or, uh, you know, a strained relationship that that we have to carry in our lives, a thankless job, a, a physical illness. And with, with a self-pitying pride, we kind of say, well, that's my cross, I have to, to carry it. Or, um, that's just a cross I have to bear. Now, I don't, I don't think this is what Jesus meant when he said, take up your cross and follow me. Because in the first century, the only picture that people had of a cross was not a piece of gold that we hang on our chain and that we, we sort of use as a symbol to to represent the salvation that we have in Christ, but to them, in the first century, the only description of a cross that they had was a thing of torture. It, it, it didn't mean anything else. To a first century, especially to a first century Jew, when, when Jesus carried his cross up to Golgotha to be crucified, no one was thinking that this was just a symbol of some burden that they would have to later carry. It meant one thing only, and that was death. Death. Death by the most painful and humiliating means human beings could ever develop. 2,000 years later, Christians, we view the cross as a cherished symbol of atonement, forgiveness, grace, and love. And, and it's for that reason that we refer to Friday before Easter as Good Friday. Now, I'm not saying it's bad to, to have a symbol, unless we worship that symbol. But in Jesus' day, when he said these words, In Mark chapter 8, he wasn't referring to any sort of just burden, but to the torturous death of someone. The Romans forced convicted criminals all the time to carry their own crosses to the place of crucifixion. It was a part of the deal. 
Bearing a cross meant carrying their own execution device while facing ridicule along the way to death. Therefore, take up your cross and follow me means being willing to die in order to follow Jesus. It's called dying to self. It's an absolute surrender of everything in my life to Jesus. And after each time Jesus commanded this cross-bearing, he said this, look in Mark chapter 8, verses 35 through 38, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Jesus said, essentially, you not only have to you know, say or be willing to die and carry that cross, that willingness, but you, you, that may, you may be called upon sometime to do just that. And although the call was tough, the reward is matchless. Nothing on this earth or in the universe can compare to the outcome of being willing to surrender my life for Jesus Christ. And I, I, really, I really wrestle with this because in our culture today, today, I'm not talking about in 30 years or 100 years, the possibility of it. I'm talking about for us today who are in this room and listening online or watching on Facebook. If we, if we went on TV this morning and, or this afternoon and said, I, I have surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, I confess him. He is my only Lord. He is my only Savior. He is my only King. Would we have to worry about losing our life? No. I mean, it, it, it's a, it's, I wrestle with this because I want to be willing. I want to surrender to the point of being willing to risk it all. So, so there's essentially four actions that Jesus asks of us based on, on this passage in Mark chapter 8. First of all, that we would be his disciple, first of all. There, uh, there's an assumption there that we are his disciple, that we have given our life to Jesus Christ. We have believed. We, we have confessed that, that Jesus was exactly who he claimed to be, that he was the Messiah, that he was God. Not that I just believe there is a God, but that I believe Jesus was him, and specifically Jesus lived, died, and was resurrected and is sitting at the right hand of God the Father right now. And, and I, so I want to ask you, as you listen today, as you think about this today, have you been, as we talked about last week and what Jesus said to Nicodemus, have you been born again? 
Have you declared with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead? That's the first step. None of the rest of this makes any sense or we would never do any of it unless that's already true. Nicodemus asked Jesus those questions. Go If, if you weren't here, if you missed the, the message last week, go online, um, read John chapter 3 and see See how Jesus answered the questions that Nicodemus had. And, and I encouraged us all to continue asking questions. If, if we doubt, if we, don't, if, if we would say, I, I don't know, I don't know if I've been born again, find the answer to that. Because John says that we can know. That we can know. And, and Nicodemus's later actions, actions, I think, show us, as we looked at again last week, that Nicodemus did believe. That he was willing to give up on his reputation as a Pharisee and as a teacher of the law and believe this new transformative thing that has just been carried out right before his very eyes. We looked at last week how Nicodemus, this Pharisee who had questions, stood up for Jesus in one of their conversations, and then later was actually a part of burying him with Joseph of Arimathea. He risked everything, even his life. His buddies want to kill Jesus. Be really easy to throw in a few other followers right along with him. And, and this is what Jesus calls us to. A willingness to risk it all. The second thing that Jesus calls us to is to deny ourselves. We live in a country that feels that we have lots of inalienable rights. You know, health, wealth, and prosperity kind of fit into that. And, and, and we can sort of be cultured into that. But Jesus says that, that we need to deny ourselves. We need to make all of our wants and our needs and our desires second to Jesus and his commands. What he tells us in his word, it doesn't matter how I think about that or how differently I feel about it. If he said it, that's the way it is. And I need to be willing to deny myself the rights that I think I should have if Jesus says those aren't necessarily rights. It's a big struggle in our culture today. It's one of the things actually in our culture today that, that creates this great divide between people. Be his disciple, deny ourselves. The third thing is this. Deny ourselves and take up our cross. He doesn't say take up his cross. He says take up our cross, your cross, my cross. Because we are all going to have opportunities in life where we can be ashamed of Jesus or we can be unashamed. Where we can risk our reputation or try and maintain our reputation. Jesus says, we got to be willing to even put our very life in danger for him and the gospel. That's what we are asked to do.
And then the fourth thing is, is what? Follow him. Follow him, no matter what, no matter what the consequences will be, no matter what we think we might be denied or not gain, no matter what. And, and, and following Jesus is easy when life is running smooth, isn't it? But when, but when we go through trials, that's the true test of the commitment that we have. That's the litmus test. That's what tells me whether I am a disciple or not. Discipleship demands sacrifice, and Jesus never hid that cost. Ever. Jesus never said, oh, following me is easy. In fact, doesn't it seem like sometimes he tries to talk them out of it? I mean, he's telling them things that it's like, You're, that's not real convincing, Jesus, that following you is a good thing. No, it's the truth, and in the end we see that it is wholly a good thing. Completely a good thing. I mean, for instance, uh, look at Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. I did put these up here so you don't have to... Kind of itty-bitty, but that's okay. This, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. How many of us have said that? I will follow you. I, I will follow you. No turning back. I will follow you. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. In other words, you know, you might, I, I, don't, I don't have any property or anything to offer you, and you may not have any either if you follow me. He said to another man, follow me. But the other man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my, my father. Seems like an okay request, right? My, my dad just died. I need to go there and be with him to bury him. What did Jesus say? Let the, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. In other words, your number one priority is not family. It's not the dead. It's, it's me. It's the message of the gospel. Now, we know that the message of, of Jesus doesn't say hate, hate one another or whatever, don't care for, for people. It's but that can't be above, above this. Still, another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. I just think Zig Ziglar would just look at that and say, Jesus, your approach is all wrong. That's not a way to earn friends and win enemies. I mean, imagine an altar call that says, come follow Jesus and, and face the loss of your friends, family, reputation, career, and possibly even your life. Who's coming forward? But ultimately, even if we lose those things that I just mentioned, in the long term, in the long term, the reward is matched, un, it's unmatched. And the destruction that we will experience on the other side of that is also, I think, unmatched of anything we've ever experienced here. And, and we need to count the cost. 
I mean, there, there, there's nothing to compare. If, if, if I give up all of these things, what will I gain? Jesus said, e- look, if you, who cares? If you gain the whole world and lose your soul, all of the money, all of the power, all of the sense of peace because of all of those material things can't even come close to match knowing that our security in heaven is secure. Jesus says, be my disciples, deny yourselves, take up your cross and follow me. So what will it be? That's my question as we end today. What will it be? Gain the things of this world and lose your soul or take up your cross and follow Jesus? If you wonder if you're ready to take up your cross, consider these few questions here. Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing some of your closest friends? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means alienation from your family? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means the loss of your reputation? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your job? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your life? And in some places in, on this planet, those consequences are reality. And it just shows to me how true and great is the gospel of Jesus Christ when people say, I believe it, I don't care what happens to, my, to me, to my life, to my relationships with my family. That is taking up your cross. It's not some general burden struggle in a relationship. And we, again, we have all of those, and those are real. But that's not what Jesus is talking about when he says, take up your cross. So are you willing? That's a key part of that. Because see, not even every disciple, not even every follower of Jesus Christ in the first century was lost their life because of their profession of faith in Jesus Christ. The question is, where, where, what, am I, what am I willing to give up? And, and of course, Jesus says, it's got to be it all. Commitment to, to, to Christ means taking up our cross daily, giving up our hopes and our dreams and our possessions, even our life, if we were asked by him to give it up for the cause of Christ. Jesus said, only if we willingly take up our cross may we be called his disciple. And we have to see past the present and know that the reward is worth the price. How many stories, how many illustrations? The guy sold everything to buy this field so, because he knew the pearl was there. The reward is worth the price. Jesus followed his call of death to self. Take up the cross and follow me with the gift of life in Jesus Christ. Eternal life. 
For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me, Jesus said, will find it. And I say, what about you? What do you think about finding your life in Jesus? Father, thank you for uh, this morning and thank you for your love and grace and mercy to us. And Father, I pray that you would help us all to, to realize how, how much you love us. Father, help me to, to, to understand what you want me to understand when it comes to sort of taking the, the journey towards Easter. And uh, Father, I just pray that uh, if there's anyone here or who's hearing this message today that doesn't exactly know if they've been born again, Father, I, I pray, Father, that you would give them wisdom and point them to the, to the person or people that they need to visit with that can help them answer those questions that they have. Jesus, thank you for your amazing grace. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. So we've talked about this today. There's a song that, that comes to my mind that really sort of drives home the truth of it. And so I want to sing it for you. And then after, sure, I'm on. And then after I sing, the worship team will come up. And if the ushers would come during this song and bring this morning's offering, yeah, let's, let's, let's take that up this, as well. So let's, let's do this. Down the Via Dolorosa in Jerusalem that day The soldiers tried to clear the narrow street But the crowd pressed in to see A man condemned to die on Calvary He was bleeding from a beating, there were stripes upon his back. And he wore a crown of thorns upon his head. And he bore with every step the scorn of those who cried out for his death. Down the Via Dolorosa, Called the way of suffering Like a lamb came the Messiah Christ the King But he chose to walk that road Out of his love for you and me 
down the Via Dolorosa all the way to Calvary. Por la Via Dolorosa, triste día en Jerusalén, las soldados le abrían paso a Jesús, mas la gente se acercaba para ver a que llevaba cruz. Por la vía dolorosa, que es la vía dolor, como deja vino Cristo, Señor, y fue aquí en it por su amor, por ti, por mí, por la vía dolorosa al Calvario y a morir. The blood that would cleanse the souls of all men made its way to the heart of Jerusalem. Down the Via Dolorosa Called the way of suffering Like a lamb came the Messiah Christ the King But he chose to walk that road Out of his love for you and me Down the Via Dolorosa All the way to Calvary.